Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today I think we have a rather interesting story for you all. Yesterday I received a tweet from a Twitter user named Halidmer, and I apologize in advance for any mispronunciations I make with any Twitter usernames, who asked me, and some other internet lawyers, the following question. Game A was sold in 2016. In 2019, code swapped to a completely different game. And what are the potential legal impacts of that situation? Now, we're going to take a look at the article that Halidmer linked to us. And before we do, I want to give the disclaimer that we don't know the veracity, we don't know the accuracy of what is put forth in that article. But assuming that it is truthful, and there are certainly other instances which could be as truthful, which aren't described in this particular set of circumstances, it's still an interesting thought experiment, and it's one that a lot of people have asked me. If you have an entire code swap of a game in this world of games as a service, of patches and of updates, of major significant changes to the games that we play, and the media that we enjoy, what recourse do we have, if any, or are these developers and publishers acting fully within their legal rights? I thought it was an interesting question. I hope you do too. And we're going to dive in to an article put forth by a Steam group called Sentinels of the Store, which I suspect is a group designed to kind of articulate and identify these issues that they see in Steam. And it was described as follows in this article. I want to issue my thanks to Connor from MMO Fallout for making me aware of this matter. I believe it is something serious, something that warrants attention, and something that I think needs further action taken on it. If you want to show Connor support, go give him a follow on Twitter, etc., etc., the game I linked at the top of this post is called Penguin Cretans. It is developed by HFM Games, who have a portfolio of basically poorly made games that are laughably bad in terms of both their premise and their execution. Penguin Cretans bucks the norm in terms of just being a bad Steam game. But there's a more interesting case behind this game that doesn't meet the eye. The game that is currently Penguin Cretans wasn't always Penguin Cretans. The store page for Penguin Cretans lists the game as being released on June 22nd, 2016. This is kind of true and kind of not. The store page itself has been around for that long, but Penguin Cretans wasn't the game that was originally released on that date. A Steam database showcases that Penguin Cretans was merely the result of a game replacement where the guys at HFM Games decided to completely remove the contents of their previous game that was listed on the page and replace it entirely with something completely new. This change happened in March of 2019, just over two and a half years after the game was originally released. So Penguin Cretans right now looks like this. It's a multiplayer obstacle course physics-based game where you move a penguin around. And when people could have bought it back in 2016 and for two and a half years from that point in time, it looked like this, where these monster people, also in a physics-based game, play some version of soccer or mess around on these various platforms. Both games look, as was described in the article, quote-unquote bad. They're physics-based games. They don't take a lot of effort. They're using what amounts to ragdoll physics or penguin physics to have funny moments where you move around space with a multiplayer component. But they are undoubtedly not the same game. And that presents a number of problems. As identified in this article, for one, the people that bought AI Ball or Eyeball drunks now can no longer play it and are stuck with a product that they never bought and potentially don't want. 
Secondly, it highlights a great flaw with Steam's system if they allow developers to do this, which is what we're going to dive into in this space. Like I said, this happened back in March 2019, and Valve didn't bat an eye when the developer made such a large altercation to the files, alteration, that were present, such as completely replacing it. Thirdly, which is arguably the worst result of what happened, and I tend to agree, Eyeball Drunks had Windows, Mac, and Linux support. Penguin Cretans does not. It only has Windows support. So people that bought it with the tags and all of the other indications that this game, Eyeball Drunks, could be played on their Linux system can now no longer be played. That support was just removed from the product that they purchased. This finishes off by saying this is important. This developer has unlawfully removed a product, which, of course, I saw and said, hey, we're going to have to talk about that. And then in the interim, there was an update from... Steam, I believe it was yesterday, and this is what Steam said. Now, this is only a customer representative. This isn't their whole entity, and I always sympathize with the customer representative trying to answer these questions that they don't have a book for, they don't have an answer for. It says, thank you for contacting Steam. I had a look at your account. The game eyeball is still activated. It seems like the producer of the game just changed the name, like you mentioned, to Penguins Cretans. I have no information available to me to what decision was behind the name change, please keep in mind that the game is listed as early access. We'll come back to that. That means that the name and the content of the game are not a finished product and are subject to change at any given time without notice. It means that in part, but it doesn't mean that entirely. And this article, this update was written to say how disappointing this was. Very demotivating and frustrating response as it reflects that Steam are seemingly still not understanding the true weight, and the quote itself sets a negative precedent as to how much game developers can throw around the early access label. And my favorite quote of the whole thing, there was no smooth transition between a physics-based football game changing into a penguin obstacle course game. I feel like you should bang the table that should be at a podium somewhere as the end of some kind of debate. So that's the premise. That's what we're looking at. Somebody sold a physics-based football game slash soccer game and changed it into a penguin obstacle course game. And are they able to do so? So I pulled up a couple of documents, some of which you've seen in virtual legality before, some of which you haven't. This is the Steam subscriber agreement. As a Steam user, this is essentially what you enter into with Valve as the platform provider, but they also set the contours for all games on their service, which can then be further modified, which we will also see. The main thing is that Steam client software and any other software content and updates you download or access via Steam, including but not limited to Valve or third-party video games and in-game content, software associated with hardware and any virtual items you trade, sell, or purchase in a Steam subscription marketplace are referred to as content and services, capital C, capital C, uh, capital S. If you listened or watched our video on the Ubisoft Terms of Service, you know capitalized letters, definitions are very important to understanding what an agreement actually does. So content and services includes Valve games, it includes Valve apps, it includes third-party games. So when they say content and services, it is talking about things like Eyeball Drunks and Penguins Cretans. Each subscription allows you to access particular content and services. Some subscriptions may impose additional terms specific to that subscription, for example, an end-user license agreement specific to a particular game, or terms of use specific to a particular product or feature of Steam. So what they are saying is that you are a subscriber of Steam, 
and you are also a subscriber of the various content that appears on Steam. Now, they use the word subscriber in a way that I know a number of you are uncomfortable with. You want to think of yourselves as buying these video games. That specific word is used deliberately to help encourage the association, which is accurate under the law, although I know a lot of people have problems with it factually, that you are not an owner in any real respect of the game. You purchased, to the extent that you did, a license to play that game, and Steam would prefer to describe you as a subscriber to a subscription of sorts to that game and to the Steam service on the whole. Now, most importantly here is when they grant you a license, they also reserve the right to change the game. For reasons that include, without limitation, system security, stability, and multiplayer interoperability, Steam may need to automatically update, preload, create new versions of, or otherwise enhance the content and services, and accordingly, the system requirements to use the content and services may change over time. You consent to such automatic updating. So Steam has, for itself, reserved the right to update the game. And remember, when we go back and we look above, they've also said that whoever makes the game, that third party, can add additional rules under what might be referred to as an end-user license agreement, which we can see as we click through to my favorite end-user license agreement to check out because it is the most obvious on the Steam service and web search. The end-user license agreement for Final Fantasy VII Remastered on the PC. Not to be confused with Final Fantasy VII Remake, this is just the up-res remastered version of the original game that came out in 1997. And this is an end-user license agreement. This goes essentially over the top of that Steam subscription agreement that we just looked at and is a legal agreement between you as the purchaser of a license and Square Enix. And if we scroll all the way down, we keep going, that we see that this is a limited warranty. They don't warranty that the software will operate at all. They don't promise anything about the software operations. It is provided as is without warranty of any kind. And if we go a little further, they say, you understand that the software product may be updated or patched at any time. And in doing so, no obligation to provide such updates or patches to you pursuant to this end user license agreement or otherwise shall arise. So you can assume that most video game licenses that you purchase, most games that you buy, have an end-user license agreement attached to it, one that you probably clicked through to get into the game. Everybody does. And they probably have terminology like this that says, hey, we can patch and update the thing because all video games, really all software, need patches and updates. They need maintenance. They need to be fixing bugs. And we expect that as consumers of these particular products. But because they need a broad right to do that, the legal language in these licenses generally read like the one you see in Final Fantasy VII or the one you saw in the Steam subscription agreement, which says we can do whatever we want or need to do. In fact, last month, I wound up doing a video about changes that were being made to the Doom Eternal software to add certain kernel-based security items that ultimately got rescinded and removed from that software, and also Destiny 2 that was changing some of its rules, some of the ways that it operated. And in that video, I wound up saying the following, because we were looking at a section in the Bungie terms and conditions that basically said, we may put patches, updates, modifications, we can do anything we want to this software and you accept it. And I said as follows, if you really kind of take these things to their absurd conclusion... 
Bungie could decide that Destiny is going to be an accounting program to help you with tax compliance in 2021. And maybe they can do that. Now, I think you'd have equitable claims. It's a breach of good faith and all of that kind of thing. But in terms of the black and white lettering of the contract, they basically reserve the right to do anything they want. Now, here's where the rubber hits the road. You heard me say it would be a breach of good faith and all that, in my opinion. And the law for contracts works on essentially two separate metrics. What you usually hear me describe in this space is common law, contract law, black letter law, the actual words on the page, what these things say. Does Square Enix reserve the rights necessary? Does Steam reserve the rights necessary? The answer to that is yes, but it's not the end of the equation because under the law, you have that black letter. You have the the words on the page of a contract. You also what we might call equitable items. You have the court saying, if we just enforce this to the letter of what is on the page, we think there will be an injustice. There will be an amount of unfairness in the result. And so we have equitable actions, equitable doctrines that we can enforce, implied representations, implied promises, implied covenants, in order to arrive at something that we think is more fair. Now, that's going to help us out with what we're discussing today, but it's also the reason that so many people complain that lawyers, especially transactional lawyers or business lawyers, can't help but say maybe or it's likely when a client asks them a question, because we can write the contract absolutely fantastically. But if a judge somewhere decides that your client is the bad actor, that it would be more fair to do something different that doesn't appear on the page, the judge has that authority and they can pull up a whole bunch of tools under equitable doctrines that help get them there. And I do think that that is what is going to happen with respect to this kind of issue that was brought up. I do think that Steam and this company are likely operating outside the bounds of what they can do under their own contracts, not because of the letters on the page, but because of an equitable doctrine called good faith and fair dealing. As the American Bar Association describes it, in general, every contract contains an implied duty of good faith and fair dealing. Now, in this article, which we're not going to read all of, you'll see these references to what it is generally. Because an equitable doctrine doesn't have the same kind of solidity in the law. You can't really base your arguments on it. You can hope that it will apply to your client. You can hope that it will apply in a specific circumstance or that it won't apply if you're on the other side of that question. But every court is going to deal with it differently, every judge. And so we get to these overall rules and not specifics. Good faith has generally been defined as honesty in a person's conduct during the agreement. Fair dealing usually requires more than just that honesty. It generally requires that a party cannot act contrary to the spirit of the contract, even if you give the opposing party notice that you intend to do so. In general, the duty of good faith and fair dealing, for example, that parties cannot evade the spirit of the bargain, lack diligence or slack off, perform incorrectly on purpose, abuse their power when specifying terms, or interfere with or fail to cooperate in the other party's performance. Now, that's what this article is actually about. That's why you see it italicized. But we're not so interested in that. The point is that 
The law looks at a contract and says, look, you hire great lawyers, you know what you're doing. And because we know that any good lawyer can kind of work with words, perform some magic, and maybe put the other side in a position that they didn't intend, the court and the law is going to step in and say, no matter what your words say, we are still going to require you to act in the spirit of what you two appear to have agreed upon. Or as the Delaware Supreme Court recently stated last year, and we use Delaware because most American corporations are domiciled in Delaware. That means they were formed there. Doesn't mean that they have to operate there. But Delaware provides the baseline rule for all corporate law in the United States. As the Delaware Supreme Court said, the court explained the two common situations where the implied covenant of good faith and fair dealing often applies. The first, which is at issue in this specific case, which we aren't going to look at, is when it is argued that a situation has arisen that was unforeseen by the parties and where the agreements express terms do not cover what should happen. Hey, we just didn't think about it. And then the court always has to step in and say, what do we think the parties thought would happen in this circumstance? It's one of the reasons you pay lawyers is to hopefully think about everything and come to an agreement between the parties before the signatures are on the page. Because if you don't, the court can step in and decide what they think is fair. More specifically for our instance, as we talk about Steam, the next situation is when a party to the contract is given discretion to act as to a certain subject, and it is argued that the discretion has been used in a way that is impliedly proscribed, prohibited, by the contract's express terms. In other words, you have this discretionary kind of concept. We can patch, we can modify, we can update, and that's discretionary. We're allowed to do that whenever we want. However, the contract itself talks about you receiving a license to use specific content. And if that specific content is fully and completely taken away, in my opinion, and I think this opinion would be borne out in the court system if it ever came to it, you have breached your covenant of good faith and fair dealing because what you agreed to give via license to this other party, this physics-based soccer game, no longer exists. It's no longer available to them. And the words that you used, updates, enhancements, improvements, modifications, patches, all imply that you are going to make the thing better. When a contract confers discretion on one party, the implied covenant requires that the discretion be used reasonably and in good faith. Now, if we go back to the original description from Steam, one of the things that they note is that this thing is in early access. And because it's an early access, it means it can change at any point in time. Now, that's true. But if we look at how Steam actually describes this process, what is early access? These are games that evolve as you play them. Evolve is a very important word right there. It doesn't mean that it will transform into something completely different. It means that it will continue to change, presumably based off of some kind of functional basis as to which you bought it. In fact, Steam says, when you buy an early access game, you should consider what the game is like to play right now. And if you aren't excited to play the game in its current state, then hold off and wait until the next update. Now, if you've ever purchased an early access game, you know the reason they say this is because these games get dropped all the time. They change over. They do things that you might not otherwise like. And so you should be happy with the purchase at the moment in time that you hit the pay for it button. But the alternative to that is look at what Steam's doing. 
Steam is encouraging you to evaluate whether to give them and the developer money based on what you see right now. So if you're looking at eyeball drunks and saying, yeah, I could go for a cheapy physics-based soccer game. I give them the three bucks and they change it into a penguin obstacle course. I look at it and I say, you know, Steam, you encouraged me to base my purchase decision off of what it was that day. In fact, they say by purchasing, you gain immediate access to the download and play the game in its current form and as it evolves. For a circumstance like this, I think you could argue that the implied covenants that we talked about would require Steam or the developer or both to make available to you the current form and as it quote unquote evolves, gets transformed, gets replaced. Because they say you keep access to the game and in no realistic way have you kept access to eyeball drunks if everything is as described in the article that we just read. So we have a page now that if you are looking at an early access storefront on Steam, they link directly to where Steam and Valve itself says you keep access to the game, you get to play it in its current form and as it evolves, and you have a situation where that flatly isn't the case. So I look at something like this answer and I say, wow, that is really wanting. And in fact, if you go and you look at what Steam tells its own developers, they say, hey, here's how early access works. Customers should be buying your game based on its current state. And the implied rule there should be, yes, you can keep evolving it. Things change. We can understand that development occurs in the video game context, but you can't just take the entirety of the current state away because that's what you received money for. And when we get away from that, we start to look like we're committing fraud. Either you, developer, or us, Valve. And so if I were Steam and I were Valve, I would start to have rules here that were a little bit more specific. You can't change the fundamental notion of what the game is that you put up there. Your destiny game can't become an accounting game. Your soccer game can't become a penguin obstacle course game. Now, why did they even do this in the first place? That's an open question. We can't speak for them, but we can note a few things. In the frequently asked questions about early access, Valve does say the following. We take our relationship with customers seriously, so if you choose to cancel development of a game and retire it from the store, we will not republish it again, and we may offer refunds to any users who purchased it. You could get in trouble with Steam if you just take it off. Now, I think you'll also get in trouble with Steam for just replacing it, but maybe they weren't as worried about that. So with all that in the back of our minds, with good faith and fair dealing, with the notion that Valve itself is advertising their early access program as telling you to rely on the way the game appears before you, even in early access, can we look at the language that they put forth and say, you know what? I think that this language doesn't even cover them when we look at it from the context of equitable doctrines. Because as we can see, for reasons that include without limitation system security, stability, and multiplayer interoperability, so they're talking specifically mostly about stability kind of concepts here, even though they have a without limitation phrase, they may automatically upload, preload, create new versions of, or otherwise enhance. So let's stop right there. The otherwise enhance implies, again, reading it 
for the benefit of the user here because we've already decided they're on the gray area. They're on the precipice of having a problem with good faith and fair dealing. The otherwise there implies that everything in that list is supposed to be an enhancement, not a destruction, not a negation. So they can update, preload, create new versions of, yes, or otherwise enhance as long as all those things are improvements and enhancements and not taking away from what they have already sold to people. And that would also go towards, we can change the system requirements at any time in the pursuance of those enhancements. You can't just change to a Penguin game, a completely different set of code and take away a Linux game that you otherwise bought. And yes, you consent to automatic updating on the premise that it is enhancement, but not on the premise that it is destruction. And so I think while this story might be small, while you might not ever buy the Penguin game or the eyeball drunks soccer game, this is an important issue. This is an important issue for video gaming right now. It's going to be an important issue going forward into the future because this is an open question. We live in a games as a service society now, and a lot of these publishers, the big $60, $100 publishers, are going to be exploring the boundaries of this concept. So in my opinion, the licenses themselves at the Valve level, at the developer level, need to be better written. They need to be more specific about what they can and what they can't do. And certainly when something like this happens, in order to keep their user base, in order to run a functional business, a place like Valve or GOG or Origin or wherever, needs to bring the hammer down on folks that abuse the good faith that their users bestow on them by purchasing things early access. Valve, everyone else, including the developers, are going to lose money if they don't kind of nip this kind of thing in the bud. And so I would look to them to do that. And I'm very thankful for Haldmerd for bringing this up. And this has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoyed this video, please like, subscribe, ring bells, do whatever else is necessary to make sure you get updates on when we put videos up in the channel. We are talking about these kinds of things all the time. Just yesterday, we talked about Twitch and its recent run-in with the record labels and the DMCA. We also did a lot of talking about The Last of Us and Sony's issues also with the DMCA. So if you're interested in any of those things, tell people that we're here. Put these videos on forums. I very much appreciate all the support, all the help we are getting spreading the word on the existence of virtual legality and the whole Law YouTube channel. If you saw this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.